0: I interviewed a robber in California who had used pipe bombs as diversion devices to draw law enforcement and fire to other locations, and then they engaged in bank robberies.
1: Welcome to Rain's podcast series, Insights on Security with Brian Lynch. Today, the topic is the behavioral attributes of the criminal or terrorist groups who carry out attacks, and how corporate security departments can manage those risks.
2: I am very pleased to to have Dr. Kevin Kelm, President of Arson and Bombing Behavioral Analysis, a criminal forensics company, join us today. Kevin, welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate the invitation very much. It's a pleasure.
2: For today's podcast, we are going to be discussing with Kevin behavioral attributes of both the criminal and terror actor who conduct bombings and or arson incidents. We'll get a little deeper into motivations and then focus on individual behaviors that should be of concern to not only corporate security departments, but all of us as they may unfold around us. So, Kevin, let me start with the differences that you have identified between the criminal actor and the terror group. Who conduct bombing and or arson incidents.
0: Okay, Brian. To answer your question, I think that w- what we see in the motivation behind a lot of these offenders, whether they're terrorists or, or criminals, is that their violence is motivated by either affective or instrumental uh, goals and desires. Uh, it's a psychological need. And uh, affective, I should say, is a psychological need, and it's desire-driven. And the instrumental actors, uh, which tend to be the terrorists, are ra- what we might consider rational, even though it, it, it's criminal in, in its nature and it's a terrorist act. There's some reason behind it that we can understand, uh, and it's goal-driven. When we uh, we look at the, the criminals, their behavior uh, tends to to have the character of being a pseudo-genius. They do have... Uh, uh, higher uh, IQs than uh, some of the other offenders that we come across and and as a consequence it gives them an an inflated sense of their own abilities and there's more risk taking. Uh, We'll see things like uh, devices that are uh, hastily put together. Um, They don't have any kind of safety mechanisms like arming switches. Uh, They're uh, you know, they, they, they'll take extreme risks even with the, the use of explosives. For example, oftentimes they'll use uh, mixtures like uh, flash powder, which is pressure, heat, shock, and static sensitive. And uh, as a consequence, uh, just even making, say, for example, a pipe bomb, if you screw the th- the uh, cap down too tight or have uh, powder in the threads, you can blow yourself up. And they're, they're somewhat mindless of that. Terrorists, on the other hand, tend to be more procedural. Uh, they use manuals and go-bys, whereas uh, the criminals uh, are offended by that notion. Uh, you know, you ask them if they, how they got their knowledge, and they're, they think that they're smart enough to figure it out, and in fact, they generally are. I think I related the, uh, the incident. Uh, uh, I interviewed a bomber, and I asked him how he got the knowledge to make it, and he kind of looked at me very disgustedly and said, well, pipe, bomb, Duh, and it um, you know it kind of reflects that attitude that they have. Uh, terrorists, on the other hand, like I said, use manuals and go-bys. Uh, they generally rely on a bomb maker, who is different from the person who is actually deploying or implementing the device, um, and they employ safeguards uh, primarily because what what you have is a situation of bombs for dummies. Uh, the the leaders and the bomb makers are not the ones who are using the devices Uh, they they let somebody else take the risks and uh, even in cases of suicide bombers you know they talk them into doing it and uh, give them instructions on how to use the bomb Um, so those people are removed from the actual uh, activity the terrorist activity so uh, I think that's kind of the the big differences that we see behaviorally and and you know there's a lot of little things that we can look at, but you know that kind of gets the flavor of of uh of where we're coming from when we talk about these types of individuals. thanks, Kevin. So you provided
2: kind of the structure of the difference between the two let Let me start with the criminal actor and the motivation behind the uh uh activities of this person. And and frankly, uh, focus on, if you can, if you will, please, the goal, and really looking for the factors that influence action. So they may think about doing some things or putting uh, a, a pipe bomb together, but what, what is the action
0: imperative? What How does that cross that line? Okay, well, that's a good question. And I, I think that, again, we go back to this notion of... Um, instrumental versus affective violence and uh for for the criminals that uh use the bomb as a tool it's a weapon of choice and the types of offenders that we see in this this categorization would be uh things like criminal gangs organized crime uh extortionate behavior uh bikers are a good example example in fact uh I can tell you from a personal experience where uh we investigated uh the outlaws motorcycle gang in the upper Midwest back in the nineties. And um the there you know, a lot of people think that the there were large the, the largest vehicle bomb was uh in the World Trade Center and uh then in Oklahoma City. And they're correct. However, there was another vehicle bombing in Chicago. Uh, where the outlaws employed a 100-pound car bomb to uh, destroy the clubhouse of the Hells Angels. Uh, so that that was, uh, again, uh, gang violence, retaliatory. Uh, another instance where they placed a, 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 a bomb made out of a fire extinguisher in a vehicle um, in Rockford, and the guy came out and started the vehicle and blew himself up. In uh, a third incident, which is kind of funny, uh, they, the outlaws were trying to place a bomb underneath a vehicle in uh, Minneapolis. And uh, while, they were, while one of the guys was underneath the vehicle placing the bomb, the other guy was in the truck messing with the remote control, and he actually detonated the bomb. Uh, the actor underneath was blown out from under the vehicle, lost his hat, some other items, uh, which later tied him forensically to the crime. So he uh, it lost his hearing as well. It's kind of uh, a funny incident. But, uh, it, it you know, they are used for the specific purpose as a tool or a weapon. Uh, I interviewed a robber in California who had used pipe bombs as diversion devices to draw uh, law enforcement and fire to other locations, and then they in, engaged in bank robberies. Um, they ultimately were involved in a police chase, and they started throwing— pipe bombs at the police cars that were chasing them. so there's that instrumental tool uh, for the bomb for criminals now offenders that are affectively uh, motivated uh, generally they're symptomatic with the mental disorder oftentimes uh, the disorders are related to delusional disorders there's amount of paranoia Uh, Frequently, you'll see schizophrenia, which is uh, a mental disorder that's characterized by delusions and hallucinations. Um, The the delusions are uh, a skewed worldview, Um, and, and oftentimes when paranoia is added to that, it triggers a defense attack mechanism, that, that, that worldview, that paranoia fe- makes them feel that people or situations or things are attacking them, and so they have to engage in defense, and in this case, it's uh, using bombs. It's a, it's a complicated, convoluted thought process. Uh, the other factor of that, the, the uh, hallucinations, oftentimes these individuals may uh, have imperative directions, oftentimes auditory, where voices tell them to do things. Um, and w- sometimes we think that these people are, aren't able to function in society because of that, but in reality they can appear somewhat normal uh, and, a- and function in society because sometimes those voices give them good ideas uh, and they can follow through on their actions. The, these, this, this individual, this symptomatic mental disorder, are factors that really represent greater threats of violence and violent behavior. And um, the I think another thing that characterizes these individuals quite often is the, uh, grievances. They're, they're grievance collectors. They have things that happen to them, and they feel victimized, and and it's related to the paranoia. Um. They feel like they're not being heard, and they want uh, society or specific targets to give them what they want. Um, this is this is uh, very characteristic of bombers, such as uh, George Metesky, who was the mad bomber of New York in the uh, 40s through the 50s, and uh, Ted Kaczynski, the, the notorious Unabomber. Um, they had grievances against, uh, uh, in Metesky's case, Con Edison Utility, but uh, he eventually went on a campaign against the whole city of New York. And, of course, Kaczynski uh, bombed targets that he felt were related to technology and uh, the aviation industry uh, in society, which was uh, uh, what he wrote his manifesto about. Uh, the The fact that they f- don't feel that they're being heard, uh, the bomb is an ultimate uh, uh, weapon to use to... to get people to pay attention and listen to their message uh, and an example of this is Luke Helder the so called smiley face bomber um, who uh, in the early 2000s uh, traveled all over the upper Midwest through Iowa and Nebraska and eventually in, into uh, Colorado and Nevada uh, supposedly making a smiley face on the map of the US with bombs uh, but the thing that he in his communications the thing he he described is that his bombs were attention getters pay attention to me i'm using these to get your attention and uh, they they don't feel that they're being heard they want to be heard i'd like to stay on this topic a little
2: bit and and dig a little deeper for those corporate security and business leaders who are listening about the behaviors that should be of concern uh, i don't know if monitors the right word, but they should be concerned about should they become aware of of this type of behavior at their company so let's let's talk a little bit kevin uh in your experience, what should companies be concerned about on the part of their employees that are exhibiting certain behavioral traits, for example
0: okay well you know i'm now we're getting into the domain of uh Uh, threat assessment and risk assessment. And it's important to distinguish the two because threats are – uh, they're operational, they're dynamic, uh, they are emerging, they're ongoing, and th- those are situations where a company's threat assessment team uh, and managers are evaluating uh, an emerging threat and may may involve the police, and it requires some type of uh, immediate intervention. Whereas when we do risk assessments uh, from the the perspective of evaluating someone it's more of a judicial or mental health approach and um, the best predictor of of future behavior is past behavior there's a lot of time to be able to uh, to evaluate what's occurring and and from the corporate perspective i think that risk assessment is looking at vulnerabilities and uh, trying to uh, harden the target and make sure that your company uh, is not vulnerable to either external or internal risks so Having said that, we go back to the threat assessment domain, and you know, the the, the we're looking for these emerging threats, and this is uh, something where uh, you know people need to be aware of what's going on in their relationships with other people and identify things that just don't seem normal and are out of character. You know, we have a tendency to to keep our peace and to not voice. Our concerns. Uh, this is where the employees and uh, managers need to be aware of the things that occur with the individuals who have the potential uh, for pathways to violence. Uh, they have an intense focus on on these things that trigger their paranoia and uh, uh, cause them to collect these grievances. Uh, they don't let things go and they're, they're not uh, calm people they're not people who uh will brush things off they they tend to really collect these grievances as i've mentioned and it it's it they are triggers for them and when you start seeing that coinciding with things like fascination or interest with uh weapons uh making making threats either uh direct or implied um uh, having a uh uh inappropriate uh comments and and uh attempts at relationships with other employees and then demeaning other people and devaluing other people uh those are are pathways and so i think that there's there's quite a bit out there that uh if a company doesn't have one they should have a threat assessment team and uh you know be aware of of, uh, a great deal of information out there for example there's uh uh, the International Handbook of Threat Assessment uh, by uh, uh, Malloy and Hoffman uh, as editors, which is a really good resource. Another thing that uh, I think Brian, you and I have talked about before is the um, th- there's a good book out there by D- Gavin De Becker called The Gift of Fear. And, uh, you know, we talk about this uh, uh, primal uh, midbrain that we have that uh, enhances our survival instinct, and we tend to ignore it. Uh, When things happen that cause the hair on the back of our neck to go up, we need to pay attention to it because our body is trying to tell us something's not right and uh we need to respond to that and uh act on it as opposed to letting our rational brain dismiss it. And this is certainly true in the workplace uh that the best defense against this are the employees who re- who see these behaviors every day and need to report them and make sure that uh the company uh the corporation is a, cert- is aware of it and can evaluate it and if necessary act on it.
2: Yeah Kevin great great information and let's put it onto uh, the normal employee uh, of a company that sees a, something odd about Johnny or Freddie over a period of time. W- what should that person do with that information, Kevin?
0: Well, I think it's important to uh, to report it. It's actually uh, important to look at these as behavior that just isn't right. Th- these individuals do not, work and play well in the sandbox with everybody else they are odd uh and and i I, i've mentioned kaczynski before uh he had a an interesting history brilliant he had a phd in mathematics i believe from michigan uh and he got got a job as a teacher at uh uh, berkeley uh, as a professor in mathematics, but he couldn 't teach because he was so quirky and unusual and didn 't get along well with people and uh, eventually uh, left teaching went to work for his brother, but he was a problem worker. Uh, he w- began to fixate on uh, on specific female employees that he thought he should have a romantic relationship. Uh, with and uh, when they rejected him he began writing dirty limericks about them and posting them on bulletin boards in the company and when he was warned to stop um, he just continued in fact the behavior escalated until his own brother had to fire him Uh, and he went to live in the woods in in Montana so the that oddity is something that needs to be uh Compared uh, or looked at you know it 's almost like uh, in the movie office space where the the guy's obsessed about his stapler and eventually burns the company down uh, there 's some truth in that it's it 's kind of a kind of funny when you watch that movie, but we 're looking for these pathway warning behaviors um, and that that 's any behavior that that indicates that there's research planning um, preparation or implementation, implementation uh, of an attack and uh, some of that can be like a fixation uh, on an, either an idea or a particular employee that uh, can, can be someone that they'll identify as the source of their problem. And they just will not let it go even after they've been warned. Um, the, uh, we look for bursts of uh, warning behaviors. Uh, some leakage where they make statements uh, to the effect that they, you know, they could come back and do damage. They could kill someone. Somebody needs to die. Uh, they, they you know, see a, a, a something on TV about a bombing and comment about it and mention that yeah, something like that could happen here. Those types of veiled uh, threats that are specific um, should be of concern and need to be reported. Uh, that, that's just some of the things that we talk about. I think that, that this is uh, – it's incumbent upon managers to uh, per, not only have uh, a risk assessment and uh, it's important for them to come up with a plan and to uh, ensure that their employees are educated and understand these risks. It, unfortunately, it's the, it's the society that we live in today – uh, it can happen any place, and it's not just limited to bombings. You know, we certainly have the situation with uh, uh, workplace violence involving uh, active shooters. Uh, the same rules apply. The same things need to be uh, considered when we deal with those situations. Thanks, Kevin. And so what we're
2: hearing is that if, if an employee who may be listening does either observe or uh, is being told about behaviors and then obviously, uh, observes that type of behavior. It's okay to report that. And I think it's critically important that HR and other, uh, entities, uh, within a corporation make it that if, if you do report it, it's okay. It's, it's not tattletaling. It's, it's actually, uh, helping the firm, uh, could possibly help the firm, uh, get, get through a difficult situation. Um, well let me ask you you know you mentioned grievance collector and 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 we talked a little bit about that uh th- does it matter what the grievance is Kevin
0: No and and the thing is is that sometimes it, the grievance just is irrational to the rest of us uh it makes no sense to us it makes perfect sense to that individual and uh, the grievance, uh, like I said, real or imagined, it can make uh, perfect sense to the to the uh, of individual. Um, you know, uh, and I think I mentioned Metesky. He he accused the Con Edison company of quote dastardly deeds end quote um, and it had to do with uh, an injury that he suffered on the job and felt that uh, the company had caused and didn't compensate him ad- adequately uh, for and he he waged a years long campaign uh, about this uh whereas uh, Kaczynski's a little bit more esoteric uh you know that he felt that uh, the airline industry in particular and society in general uh embracing technology was uh, destroying the earth and that uh he was there to call attention to this this uh problem and his message which uh, again if you read the manifesto it's very convoluted hard to understand so yeah you you know it you just can't uh, dismiss these things that they fix uh, fixate upon and their grievances because again the problem is dismissal Uh, I think one of the greatest insults in life is to be ignored. And uh, they certainly, uh, as grievance collectors, take that uh, very seriously of being ignored and they're going to act upon it uh, very violently. Yes, very good
2: advice. And if a company has identified a grievance collector, either someone who is currently onboarded or someone that has left the company, uh, the grievance collector, in in his or her mind, it, it doesn't matter whether they're currently employed or not, does it?
0: Oh no, absolutely not. They'll take it with them. And uh, in those situations where it becomes so, so much of a concern, and the individual has uh, uh, exhibited uh, significant warning factors, uh, it. it could be time to not only get law enforcement involved but also to uh, do things like obtain uh, restraining orders uh, and orders prohibiting their their presence or contact and uh, you know again that's not a guarantee it's not a safety measure but what it does do is that when the individual continues their Their grievance and their their contact, um, then it, they can it can be acted upon, and uh, you can get some intervention. And in fact, there may be the possibility of mental health intervention once uh, the authorities become involved. And uh, you know the thing to remember is that uh, it, this this kind of is uh, illustrated in stalking behavior. It's the same kind of thing that uh, you know I want attention, and even if it's negative attention, it's still attention, and uh, I, I want it one way or the other.
2: Yes, very interesting, Kevin. I think that that this does show up in corporations. This the, the the grievance collector who may pick a a very minute or small matter and make a a mountain out of a molehill, as the old term goes, uh, and then won't give it up. Well, let me ask you: if if I'm a corporate security director and I'm listening to this, I obviously don't want to ignore it because th- this is not going to go away, right? I mean, these things may percolate, but, but it's not going to go away. W- what are the steps that I should consider? Obviously, it's case by case, but and from a broad brush perspective, well, what are the steps that I should consider once something like this, someone like this has been identified at my company?
0: Well, I, again, this is uh, when we go back to uh, the concept of threat assessment. Uh, uh, companies, uh, particularly larger companies, should have a threat assessment team in place and perhaps have uh, the resources of a, of a uh, uh, psycho- psychologist or psychiatrist on call uh, through a uh, either a contractor arrangement or uh, even in-house for some really big companies. And um, these... these these threats that are brought to the attention of management, or these concerns that employees might ha- might have, uh, kind of go up the food chain. It, it's a, obviously it's a disciplinary problem. It's a uh, work work issue for a manager to deal with. The thing is that management can't gloss over it and and minimize these things. That the the thing to re- remember with this. Grievance collecting is that it's caused by fixation. It's fixation on, a, on an idea, a delusion. The, this, these delusions are that I'm being victimized, I'm being persecuted, and they can't let it go. And when these situations get to that point, it needs to escalate to the to this uh, threat assessment team to look at it and to start l- making uh, evaluations based upon pathway behaviors. You know, looking at those symptomatic behaviors that we see, um, like uh, novel aggression warnings uh, that that uh, uh, you know the pe- the people talk about uh, uh, first time violence, and they, all of a sudden they're they're. Their conversation and behaviors are totally extreme and move away from what normally expected from them. Uh, things like uh, identification warnings, where they have a warrior mentality or pseudo commando, uh, and they become associated with weapons and law enforcement or military paraphernalia, uh, they, where they identify with previous uh, attackers, like say Timothy McVeigh. He um, pops up in a conversation that would be somewhat unusual. Um, I mentioned leakage before. Uh, Last warning resorts. It's like, okay, either do it my way or else. Those are really things that uh, should get the attention of management, uh, of managers and, and the threat assessment team. Ultimately, you know it's the interventions that take place is that uh h uh, r uh needs to be involved to have discussions with these individuals and to uh warn them about their behavior the th- The thing is t- is to listen to their issues to uh, show that you are in fact paying attention however uh you know the obviously some of these issues and demands are just unreasonable or illogical or or non-existent and uh you know uh, it could come to the showdown where it's like you know we need to let you go um those, those types of situations need be handled in such a way that it does not escalate, uh, and, you know, particularly involving, say, for example, the individual, uh, focuses and, uh, indicates that their immediate supervisor is, is the problem and that's who they fixate on and that's the subject of their grievance. Obviously, that's not going to be the individual to terminate them. Uh, or to discipline them, it needs to go to someone who is unrelated uh, and uh, uh, isn't necessarily perceived as uh, part of the big problem. And again, as I mentioned, uh, if the behaviors get to the point that it becomes necessary to involve law enforcement or the courts, don't hesitate to do that. Uh, Managers should uh, certainly be aware of what their potential legal remedies are, either criminal or uh, civil, and should take advantage of that. And I hope that you know it's it's kind of hard to say uh in specific detail when we're dealing with uh, like I said these are emergent operational evolving and dynamic situations it's hard to come up with something concrete there's a lot of information out there um that's available to managers from publications uh, available from like uh, uh the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA uh the cybersecurity threats all there's plenty of information out there that can help guide managers and of course uh, like i said uh, looking at uh, the assistance of threat assessment professionals that can help guide this as well yeah kevin
2: great advice and and uh uh the appropriate actions that you laid out uh depending upon the case um I, i know that sometimes uh in in companies they typically will move problem employees to different supervisors to try to get a different leader uh, in front of the person. Uh, has your experience shown, uh, obviously we don't have a specific case, but does the grievance collector care who the supervisor is generally?
0: Well, again, that uh, as you said, case-specific, I think it depends on... Uh... You know what what their perception of the problem is, or who their perception of the problem is, and uh, you know if it gets to the point where it's the company, it really doesn't matter who they're talking to. You know, any any minion, if you will, of the company is is part of the problem. Um, again, I think uh, it, it's it's the situation where we're talking about threat versus risk. We're looking at emergent situations. And, you know, we're looking for for that symbolic risk. Uh, We're looking for their public statements, their anger, the cause of of their problem. And if we can mitigate it by using uh, either uh, employees who are considered outsiders or even go to the outside. Uh, and bring someone else in whether it be the police or a threat assessment professional to uh, help work with them and through the company Uh, anything that you can do to de-escalate is always important uh, because we're looking we're trying to address those violence pathways like the fixation the anger the unheard message Uh, delusional and paranoia behavior is hard to overcome Uh, you know as soon as you counter and Uh, try to talk them out of their delusion, then you become part of the problem. And you, uh, you know, the paranoia kicks in and said, aha, there's another enemy. Uh, Sometimes it it just cannot be overcome. Uh, So, uh, you know, and and we need to look at things like uh, social engineering and planning where these individuals uh, really start fixating on on the notion that they're going to act in some way so you know who should deal with it again situational I I think that uh, again whoever can actively step in and intervene in a way that will de-escalate is always helpful Uh, sometimes it just isn't possible
2: yeah great points Kevin and uh, the final area that I'd like to uh, discuss is I think we touched upon this a little bit uh, but the problem doesn't go away if the person is removed from employment. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how important the termination process is, what that looks like, and then just because the employee is not working for XYZ company doesn't mean that the problem has gone away?
0: No, it certainly doesn't. Um, and, and I, I th- again, depending on how big the threat kind of determines the level of uh, of restriction or action. And like I said, it can go anywhere from just saying, you know, turn in your badge and your keys, uh, your, your ID badge and your keys, you're done. Uh, please don't come back. We won't uh, work against future employment. However, we can't give you a good recommendation. You know, those types of things to help mitigate the separation. In some cases, it might even be acceptable if the individual is not deemed to be extremely, the potential for extreme immediate violence to just uh, terminate by phone. We overlooked the idea of those types of uh impersonal contacts as being uh, less inflammatory as a, a face-to-face so the potential for that anything like i said that can um, de-escalate uh, the the in some cases again the termination might require serving papers and to say that you you are prohibited from re- coming back here uh, you know this is a restraining order please don't have any further involvement with the company and if you do then we will pursue uh, prosecution or civil action. So, uh, again, hard to come up with absol- absolutes. Th- these are dynamic, situational factors that uh, need to be taken into account, and uh, we we like to use the term as structured professional judgment. The problem with these types of of cases is that there really are no base rates. There's no collection of data to tell us exactly how to to respond, and we don't know how many people respond well, how many people respond bad. So you, so you can't rely on statistics. You have to rely upon the education and the experience and the, the considered judgment of the people who are involved. Uh, there are plenty of uh, survey instruments out there that can be used to evaluate the the. Re- potential threat from an individual but ultimately uh, it's it's a judgment call and uh, a lot of thought that goes into how to handle that termination process the same thing that occurs in law enforcement when we're planning on interviews Uh, we think about who should do it where it should be done the types of things that should be talked about, the things that are should not be talked about uh, because they're likely to uh, uh, result in the person shutting down and, and the same factors come into play when we're dealing with uh, uh, the employee process and uh, up to and including termination.
2: Sound points and appreciate your insights and expertise on this topic today.
0: It's a pleasure, Brian. I really appreciate the invite. You're entirely welcome, and I'd love to talk to you again.
1: Kevin Kelm is the president of Arson and Bombing Behavior Analysis, LLC. Individuals and organizations turn to Rain for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Subscribe to Rain's core membership and get our daily risk updates, weekly intelligence briefs, Breaking alerts on important risk developments and so much more. Find out how RAIN can power your business to success at RAINNETWORK.com. That's R A N E NETWORK.com. Thanks for listening.